This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And we are back with the much-awaited and much-delayed... <laughs> final episode on our Christianity and the Marginalized Community slash Religious Trauma series. Yeah, I think it ended up being like, I want to say 10 to 11 episodes in total because we had a couple of splits in some Uh of our episodes. I know we did because there was a lot of information. And so we're going to do a quick recap uh, of our very extended series. It's no longer a mini-series because what would we say? A mini-series is like three to four. Oh. Which was the original intent. I think that's up for debate, but Ruh, roh. yeah, it's 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 grown longer than we originally anticipated. I will right. say that. <laughs> uh, and and listeners, just for a peek behind the curtains, Annie would be like, "You going to do this week?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> How about this week? I was like, "No." <laughs> I want to talk about this instead. I want to do this instead. I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> Essentially, yep. but we're, we've made it. We finally made it because Annie was like, "Look, I I I dropped the ball on several occasions," and she's like, "You can make it up to me by finishing this damn series." It's like, "Yeah, you're right. You're right." <laughs> Let me, let me I get just wanted done. to cross it off my list. <laughs> it's just haunting you. Yes. <laughs> but yes, we're going to do a quick recap. Um, so we talked about the historical context of what religion is like today um, and how it came to the, be this point in the U.S., what religious trauma is and how it affects the marginalized communities, the toxicity of purity culture. And that was a deep one, y'all. All of this have been deep, but like we really dug into some things, uh, especially in the United States, the sexual abuse and sexual violence within a church culture domestic violence and the church's silence when it comes to violence in general, especially with uh, partner violence. And then we have victim blaming. Add to that was the victim blaming and the con- even condoning by the church. Um, and then the church's view on divorce, and that was an interesting one. And of course, the role of women uh, as wives. And then Christianity and the queer community. And that was one of those that we split into two because we had a lot of conversations about that, especially about uh, how both sides feel when it comes to how uh, especially the right is talking and victimizing the queer community, as well as the past uh, things like 
conversion therapy, which is still hotly talked about today. I've actually had several pieces come my way. I'm like, damn it, why are we still talking about this? Because it exists and people are still very bad people with this really barbaric idea behind it. Um, And as we have previously said, there's a lot of personal trauma for both Annie and I, um, as well as for people as a whole. And uh, we are seeing it play out in politics uh, as well, especially actually it's all over the world. It's kind of interesting how maybe we're just paying more attention or maybe we're just more connected because of social media, but it's definitely rampant um, all over the world. Uh, But again, just to reiterate, we aren't saying religion is all bad or all corrupt, but that religious trauma and the alt-right ideology that has twisted Western Christianity is something we should be aware of and continue to talk about. There are those who truly seek a higher belief and faith with good hearts and intentions, meaning to fulfill their lives and to do good work in the world. As I have mentioned before, uh, the words of Jesus are vastly different from the interpretations of many of the conservative talking heads, and biases exist within cultures and denominations, and we should be diligent and wary of information based on those biases and emotions. So that's the big caveat there. Mm -hmm. Now that we have all of that out of the way, as with, again, the other episodes, there is content warning with mentions of anti-queer rhetoric, hate speech, and overall unpleasant view on what is happening today in our society. It was stressful for us. It is stressful for us to research it, to dig into it. So we know it can be for you as well. So just take that in mind. Yeah. Yes. Uh, So in the last episode, we had to split the episode because of the deep and long anti-queer history within Western Christianity and many other religions. Um, We already discussed some of the philosophical debates as well as hate groups that are based off of faith-based organizations. And we delved into the darkness of conversion therapy, which is still, yes, hotly debated today, still is a thing. Um, So today we wanted to talk about the attack on the trans community by faith-based organizations and politicians. And we did separate this out of just, we talked about it in the queer episode as well, but there is a specific uh, attack on trans communities in general, and it's unfortunately assisted by TERFs. TERFs are just people who would call themselves feminist, feminism, and we've seen people who um, in the queer community would also attack trans people in general as well. And so we wanted to make sure that we did talk about this because they have become a focal point uh, for many of the political conservatives out there today. So when it comes to talking about the trans community, it can feel a bit overwhelming and exhausting. Um, And this is from my point of view. Um, And yes, that's to say for those of us who aren't a part of that community can only understand a fraction of those emotions. So I'm not trying to put any words in anybody's mouth. I understand that I do not understand (laughs) the full depth of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But a part of this is also understanding and reteaching ourselves or others of the ever-changing language and rhetoric, which is important for us to honor and follow through with. Uh, I will admit, for me, it is difficult sometimes, not because I don't respect it, but because re-educating myself and growing with it is a constant process. But for the sake of this episode, if, we're, we, if we are using an outdated term or something that is, that is no longer relevant, please let us know kindly, because the amount of information we have to swim through for the series specifically can be overwhelming. Um, And though we try to find the most updated information, sometimes it doesn't always happen. Um, Also, 
We will let you know ahead of time, but we do research the conservative sites as well to see their reasoning and more likely the misinformation they use to push their narratives. So if we use their direct quotes, uh, the speech may be dated. Again, we'll be trying to censor anything that is offensive, but want you to understand why that might be in here. Mm-hmm. Again, I say this as a person from, I, I am technically, people are still arguing whether or not elder millennials exist, and I'm being told that I'm Gen X. And I'm like, well, will someone tell me what I am, because I am right on that cusp. Mm. So a lot of that, the language has changed vastly over the past 40 years, and I love to see it, because again, we finally come to the point of understanding that it is the spectrum, and no longer just like black and white. And as you have known, because many of you have taught me, I'm growing with this mm-hmm. conversation. So... I just want to put that as a caveat. Like, I may be saying something outdated I don't realize. Annie and I have to do an episode almost, I feel like, at least every two years to come back to learn the new terms and Mm -hmm. what that marginalized group may think is offensive, even though people may have tried to use it as a better way. So, all that. I just had to put that there. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, that sidebar out of the way. Here's some things to know. The trans community has always been a target for conservative Christian groups, and the reason has everything to do with power and fear-mongering. In fact, in a focus on the family article, which we have already noted as a type of hate group uh, with a very strategic method of turning the nation into a Christian nationalist state. We talked about them previously, and uh, while we are talking about focus on the family, yes, this is going to have some offensive ideology. Please understand that they point out, quote, patterns that might be causing confusion in children. And again, not my words. This is how they're putting it. And by the way, the article is titled A Biblical View on Transgender Identity, a Primer for Parents and Strugglers. Uh, yeah, and some of those patterns include the breakdown of family, abuse or abandonment from parents, trauma survivors, or they have mental illness, quote, unquote. They are in LGBT. Uh, influences, so they're watching a lot of LGBT influencers. They are showing porn or watch porn, and they're a victim of sexual abuse. I think it's obvious that there's a pattern here on what they're trying to blame uh, transgenderism on, as what just in any like queer community on. They really, really have been onto this like, oh, they've been exploited and they've been abused and all these things. And Annie and I have already previously talked about this, how trauma is there. Sure, 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 sure. But it's not the cause. Because if it was the cause, I feel like there'd be way more. Everybody (laughs) should be trans or queer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, just saying. Mm -hmm. And in that same article, they mentioned gender dysphoria, but they also focus on rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is a controversial and recent hypothesis that has not been substantiated by the science community. Um, And in fact, many have discussed the limited and inconsistent study and the methodology of it. Um, But organizations like Focus on the Family really jumped on board. Um, Here is how they defined it, quote, An increasing social phenomenon affects teens and adults who have identified with their own biological sex for years, then decide they want to change genders and sometimes alter their bodies. This developmental crisis, seen especially among adolescents, is seemingly associated with peer contagions, such as social media influencers celebrating the ideology of gender fluidity, peers embracing transgender behavior as popular and trendy, and as an avenue for social celebration or unique recognition, clubs sponsored with public school systems to promote acceptance of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender LGBT identity framework. 
Right. Uh, again, hint, hint, we see a pattern here. Mm-hmm. And as we said earlier, this is not an accredited diagnosis or theory. Like, I remember when I was reading this, I was like, that's not a thing. What is this? Um, mm-hmm. So here's a quote from Scientific American. The American Psychological Association and 61 other healthcare provider organizations signed a letter in 2021 denouncing the validity of rapid onset gender dysphoria, or ROGD, as a clinical diagnosis. And a steadily growing body of scientific evidence demonstrates that it does not reflect transgender adolescents' experiences and that, quote, social contagion is not causing more young people to seek gender-affirming care. Still, the concept continues to be used to justify anti-trans legislation across the U.S., And uh, the article goes on, quoting a professional, quote, to even say it's a hypothesis at this point, based on the paucity of research on this, I think is a stretch, says Eli Coleman, a former president of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. Uh, But yeah, this concept is being widely used by churches and politicians to create these harmful anti-trans bills and propaganda. According to translegislation.com, there are currently 83 anti-trans bills that have been passed and 366 that are still active. And many of them include felony charges for guardians, medical professionals, and businesses that allow drag shows. And again, um, there are bills that are going after the education system as well that revolve around anti-trans rhetoric. Um, But with that, there are many Christian groups and organizations that disagree with this tactic. Here are some quotes from a recent PBS article. Faith leaders who support transgender rights bristle at the use of religious rhetoric to marginalize trans people. As a Christian leader, it's horrifying to me that Christianity and the Bible are being used by the religious right to bludgeon people through these many bills, said Serene Jones, the president of Union Theological Seminary in New York City. To use religious language like that is an abomination, she said. They are threatening the lives and well-being of so many people around the U.S. and the world. And here's another one. The leader of one of the largest mainline Protestant denominations, the Reverend Elizabeth Eaton of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, has condemned the anti-trans bill as an attack on trans people's humanity. While members of our church hold various convictions regarding gender, the teaching of our church supports legislation and policies to protect every person's human dignity and civil rights, Eaton said in a recent statement, our church teaches that we affirm transgender and non-binary siblings as God's children. Right. Um, And the level of false narratives and moral objections that are being used to enact these laws are unfortunately working uh, with many white conservative Christians believing the false theories such as the rapid onset gender dysmorphia and willing to use politics to control what they fear is the end of a good old days, which we're about to talk about in a bit. But yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh Yeah, which does bring us to a larger conversation of religion and politics, and more specifically, Christian nationalism. Yeah, so we've talked already about the hazards of Christian nationalism and the opinions of many when they hear the words in in and itself, and the association. Of course, there are many who believe that the country was always intended on being a Christian nation— Once again, forgetting the idea of religious liberty, but we also know that the plans were made up by white men of power. So whatever keeps them in power is most likely the intent for this still very young nation. Right. Um, But 
According to one report from the Public Religion Research Institute, a nonpartisan research organization, only one in 10 truly adhere to the strict principles of the Christian nationalist. Here's what they said, quote, To be sure, most Americans are not Christian nationalists. We find that just one in 10 Americans may be characterized as strong adherence to Christian nationalist principles. Yet for both men and women, the same percent, 10%, qualify as adherents and approximately two in 10 qualify as Christian nationalism sympathizers, 18% of men and 20% of women. And they go on writing about the roles of women in this type of structure. Among Christian nationalism adherents, there is a strong correlation with the notion that women are the weaker sex. We find that nearly 7 in 10 adherents, 69%, agree that, quote, in a truly Christian family, the husband is the head of the household and his wife submits to his leadership. By contrast, two-thirds, 64%, of Americans overall disagree with that sentiment. Given that Christian nationalists endorse the biblical view of male headship, it should perhaps not be surprising that more than 6 in 10 Christian nationalism adherents, 66%, also believe that society as a whole has become too soft and feminine, and more than two-thirds believe that society seems to punish men just for acting like men. Yes, and man, why is it that if it's such a small point of view, we've heard it so much? You know, like uh-huh. literally they're saying 64% of those people are like, no, 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 no. Literally 10% believe this level. 20% may sympathize with it. Mm-hmm. And I find that fascinating, but that we hear that the loudest. Again, I think we've talked about this many a times and how loudly they do speak and they try to push that narrative. But if this is true, which they are at a prestigious research center, then we know that by far most people are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. But we hear it so much, we start to believe that maybe it's true. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply.
I just I wonder like the amount of people who really bought into this idea and it's gotten so loud. Has it been since the beginning of like the incel groups going bigger and bigger and bigger and growing with social media or like the platforms? And therefore, this is spread so loudly. And maybe like what we're looking at with this type of narrative is based on the growth of that type of misinformation and step spreading online. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different conversation, I know, but it just kind of popped in my head. I was like, hmm, there's a correlation, which is why Bridget has a whole show about it. But still, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just wondered. So, unsurprisingly, some of the biggest supporters of Christian nationalists are very loud women. And please don't take that to me saying that women shouldn't be loud, but it just seems to be the, the very over-the-top vocal people. Think Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, who literally chases people down and screams in their face. And ironically, mm-hmm. claims the whole godly wife ideals uh, with two of these women in in uh, public offices going through divorces and very controversial relationships currently, including like diddling each other in front in, in like a public audience at a Broadway show. Beetlejuice. You know. Yeah. So he's kind of like, odd. <laughs> huh. Is that irony or is that just sad? Um, Green was even quoted as saying, we came from Adam's rib. God created us with his hands. We may be the weaker sex. We are the weaker sex, but we are our partners, our husband's wife. Again, she's divorced, y'all. She left him for a man that she met at CrossFit. (laughs) (laughs) Is it ironic or is it sad? That's just the theme of the entire episode here, y'all. But yeah, literally having that as one of the things... But we have seen how women have been at the forefront in pushing this narrative and the patriarchal systems as well, all in the name of Jesus. Uh, Tradwives and many other movements that have heavily pushed the white Christian agenda are the base of many of the men and organizations who, again, push to bring this type of ownership to the country. And we've talked about them before when we talked about the women behind these movements, um, which probably maybe we should bring back out. It could be a subset of the series. <laughs> but yeah, it's it seems to be a whole conversation about who actually is controlling this. I will say there was an ironic article from a Christian organization who was like, women need to be in charge because da-da-da-da-da. And he was trying to be funny. And it was kind of funny, but at the same time, I was like, is, it, is he being for real? Because that's actually the smart way to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, we've seen it. Moms uh, for Liberty and Moms Demand, all these, they are a forceful organization in these movements, and we've seen it. Mm-hmm. And a part of this push is the fear-inducing tactic that morality is lost. Many of the conservatives have loudly proclaimed that liberals are ruining the country, or as my mother said to me, I've become one of those people trying to ruin this country. This is uh, in regards to me being on a feminist podcast. And she told my father this when he was trying to get her to stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Literally, like, she's the reason. I was like, oh, I'm putting me in third person now. That's bad. Mm. Um, and it's working. My mother, again, as an example, we figured things out, but we don't talk about things. Mm. Um, but with that, they're more likely to lean harder into their conservative ideals and seek to blame others. Uh, here's a quote from the news.berkeley.edu article. In a 2019 speech, then-U.S. Attorney General William P. Barr warned that the rise of militant secularism is causing a moral upheaval reflected in violence, drug use, and pregnancy outside of marriage. And can you see what they're doing in this quote? Mm-hmm. He says, mm-hmm. quote, 
We are told we are living in a post-Christian era, said Barr, a Catholic. I don't know why I had to say it that way. There you go. <laughs> but what has replaced the Judeo-Christian moral system? What is it that can fill the spiritual void in the hearts of the individual person? And what is a system of values that can sustain human social life? The fact is that no secular creed has emerged capable of performing the role of religion. Uh, but the critique is an expression of nostalgia for an imagined golden age, an age, says Dahl, uh, a contributor for Berkeley and a professor, that never existed. The fiction that some people are trying to build is that there's a singular conservative Christianity that had a heyday in the past and that can be reclaimed now and used to fashion a new American society, she explained. Some people think we should return to the 1950s or the 1790s. Those are very clearly moments in which racial inequality and racial hierarchies are enshrined in law. And yeah, we're going to talk a little more about that in a minute. But again, I think that's such a great point. And I really do want to come back to that later probably in a whole different uh, context. But the fact that people have this imagined ideal, idealized thing of like, this is the perfect time. And this is this was the amazing time of family. There's never been such a thing. There's always been outright war due to religion. There's always been uh, colonialism and violence because of religion. There's been fighting within denominations. The South- Southern Baptists and Baptists split How many times Catholicism in itself has split? How many times? And it's because of the disagreement of what is the perfect time or what is the perfect religion. And I find that Mm -hmm. fascinating that there is the one thing that's been uniting the far right is, do you remember those good old days, which never existed, and trying to get back to the good old days? Right. It is very imagined, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the danger of nostalgia, everyone. Um, <laughs> and it is these people who are pushing to change the political landscape today. According to a February 2023 NPR article, more than half of Republicans actually support Christian nationalism. Here's a quote from that article. According to a new survey from the Public Religion Research Institute and the Brookings Institution, researchers found that more than half of Republicans believe the country should be a strictly Christian nation, either adhering to the ideals of Christian nationalism, 21%, or sympathizing with those views, 33%. And they continue, Christian nationalism is a worldview that claims the U.S. is a Christian nation and that the country's laws should therefore be rooted in Christian values. This point of view has long been most prominent in white evangelical spaces, But lately, it's been getting lip service in Republican ones, too. During an interview at a Turning Point USA event last August, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican Georgia, said party leaders need to be more responsive to the base of the party, which she claimed is made up of Christian nationalists. We need to be the party of nationalism, she said. I am a Christian, and I say it proudly. We should be Christian nationalists. Right. Can you see who the face of Christian nationalism is at this point? Uh, yeah, I think she's one of the biggest faces for it because she's so damn loud. Um, <laughs> and many of the articles we found had at least one quote from Green to represent what some of the politicians are referring to when they say uh, or when they talk about going, taking back the country. Mm-hmm. Um, again, again, very fascinating. Uh, and so those numbers, again, we, we want to kind of emphasize, although it sounds a little different from the previous numbers, it's not because we're they're counting uh, those who are supporters and, and sympathizers. Um, 
and also Republicans. So mm-hmm. <laughs> just just a reminder that they're talking about specific sect of groups, and it makes me sad. And again, I, I don't know if they truly understand what that is. Yeah, I agree. But uh, many Christians are also opposed to this type of narrative. In a Christianity.com article, they talk about some of the dangers of this type of foundation, and they write about three reasons why it is dangerous. Uh, Number one, Christian nationalism is a quest for political power rather than an embodiment of the Christian mission. And here they write about the constant grab for power or supremacy, quote, Christian nationalism, far from being a missional effort to make the name and way of Jesus known in America is fundamentally a battle for cultural recognition and legal privilege. And they continue saying, since Christian nationalists believe that the nation itself is at stake, virtues such as kindness, gentleness, and compassion can be placed aside if doing so will advance the cause of taking the country back. Mm-hmm. And so this is number two. Christian nationalism is as unconstitutional as, as it is unbiblical. So they explain, while it is enough that Christian nationalism is a quest for power and control at odds with the New Testament's depiction of Christ's kingdom being, quote, not of this world, it is worth noting that it is also unconstitutional. And if Christian nationalists believe, as many do, that the founding documents of America are divinely inspired or at least firmly Christian, then advocating for the violation of those documents become a self-defeating argument. And it goes on to say, Seeking to privilege Christianity above other religions violates this value, which Christians have certainly benefited from and many of whom have fought to preserve. Protecting religious liberty is foundational to respecting the dignity of other humans created in the image of God. It also protects Christians. If religious liberty were to be weakened or gutted and leaders who disagree with Christian doctrine were elected, the opportunity for government persecution of Christians would, for the first time in our nation's history, be real instead of merely imagined. And I think that's such a great point. I really, this is something that I might actually have to be bringing up to my parents, which I've done before, because I talked to them about when Mitt Romney was running for office and they were willing to vote for him. I'm like, you know, he's a Mormon, right? And they're like, yeah, I was like, so if we come to the point that we're allowing someone to dictate religion, what if he does everything based on his beliefs, which my parents are like, oh, my God, what? Same thing as with a Catholic president. I was like, what about that? Because they are very opposed to Catholicism. I don't think they understand <laughs> what Catholicism is, but they are very opposed to it. <laughs> right. But that conversation is you really can't understand what is happening. And you're really banking and, and thinking that all they're all your people. Who you you don't even like Southern Baptists. My parents were firmly against me going to a Southern Baptist church because they're not Southern Baptists. They thought they were too mm. uh, snobby and uh, not not religious enough. So I was like, you don't even like them. What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> they do. They've changed since then. But like, uh-huh. that's the level of divide and opposition that the denominations had, that they don't, they oppose each other so much that they are willing to say this way is better. So I find that interesting that like you are setting yourself up to be persecuted as well, that that you've truly never been. Mm-hmm. Right. And that brings us to number three. Christian nationalism is inextricably connected with xenophobia and conspiracy theory. Uh, Yes, the author acknowledges this as well. They write, uh, Christian nationalism is meant to privilege a particular set of cultural values held by the founding generation of America, a culture of which people of any and every national or ethnic origin can assimilate. 
Nevertheless, at a popular level, Christian nationalism almost invariably devolves into rhetoric and language that has elements of white supremacy, discrimination, and xenophobia. And that is because, by its very nature, the Christian nationalist definition of Christian culture is co-located with white culture. I think as, as we look at the entirety of our episodes, we see that as the common theme, um, the hierarchy and power that is the basis and motives for many led by those in power, followed by many because of the conspiracy theory. And I think we also have to acknowledge and recognize that the setup is for white, cis, hetero men, period, followed by uh, white women because this is what they see as the ultimate power. Again, with that false narrative that Jesus was white, he wasn't married, he was not, he was technically asexual, like in everything, if anything. He never had interest with women, he never had interest in men, he had interest in one thing only, um, and if, if we're going biblically. And that's mm-hmm. just to like, love God and move on. <laughs> and that's it. Like even with his preachings, it was always very gentle. And it was action. It was rarely in words. And we see the words, don't get me wrong. We see the red. If, and what I mean by that, you see red uh, writing for Jesus's words in the Bible. Uh, but the majority of the time we see his uh, actions and his follows, whether it was feeding children, feeding people, whether it's uh, staying silent and meditating. Uh, we see so many things, whether it's taking a whip and going after those who would try to profit off of his words and profit off of things. That's the only time he ever got mad. I still love that like, part. Part of that is like the only time he ever got mad was very methodical because he had to like literally uh, put together a whip. And then he just went after those who were taking advantage and the, of the others with fear mongering saying, if you want to truly be in heaven, if you want to be in good graces, you'll buy these sacrifices. Mm-hmm. That was it. And he was like, wait, what? This is not what's needed. So I find that, again, fascinating that many, many of people don't want to hear that again. I have my opinions about Paul. We know it's very, very one. Like, uh, I feel like I'll have a battle with a dude. It's fine. Uh, but I, I just, I think there are so many things to this conversation that is altogether left out. But what we're talking about here, what we're talking about in the past 9, 10, 11 episodes uh, is the dangers of these conspiracy theories that have taken hold. And I'm, uh, yeah, morality the basis of morality is a conspiracy theory. This idea of the rapid onset body dysmorphia, f-ing conspiracy. Like that, that, there's nothing else. Like there's nothing that they want to blame things in order to have an excuse of ways to get rid of things mm-hmm. that you can't, as well as to not put yourself in a place of holding yourself accountable that you, what you're doing is unkind and inhumane. Right. And I think for so long, And this is my personal experience, but I bet a lot of you can relate. For so long, it just wasn't a thing that you did. You didn't say you weren't religious. You didn't criticize religion because it was viewed as this moral thing. So there's something wrong with you uh, morally if you have a question about it or you don't agree with it. And so it just sort of, we haven't talked about it for so long. And I like that we're talking about it more now. Because for a while, I was too afraid to even bring it up. Even on this show, when I first started, it would be like, oh, no, we're talking about religion today. We'd have a whole conversation about it and how mad people were going to get. And I think like going back to that good old day thing that you were talking about, Samantha, I feel like people who don't even 
maybe you haven't even read the Bible, maybe don't even remember it, but they use it as like, oh, this was a better time. The Bible is this moral, like unsaleable <laughs> moral thing. Right. And you are going against it and therefore you are wrong when really they either didn't read it, didn't get it, purposely didn't get it. Like, yeah. Right. The taking of one biblical verse and then using it as your theme and then you come back to look at it and you're like, mm. oh. <laughs> 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 uh. There are so many things that I remember. I'm like, you are taking that way out of context. I need you. Um there's one about pretty much uh, your God will not give you more than you can handle type of thing. And then like just all these things, which is a nice sentiment. It is a nice sentiment. The conversation is beyond that, that there's so many into it where he says like it's building you up and it's going to put you on the brink of all these things. Like there's so many conversations that you're like, that's not what that means, though. And then having people use that to people maybe who have mm, cancer and are about mm. to die or people who lost somebody. You're like, F- you. <laughs> that's not that's not. Why would I want to believe in God? <laughs> like that's again for those who need that, who have that passage as a thing that 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 really keeps them through. That's amazing. I hope you do. But once again, understand that that's not always as reassuring as it is, and it's also taking it out of context. Like there's so many conversations uh, where that if you'll do this one thing, then God will bless you. This is God's blessing. And if you get good things, and then there's obviously God blessing you, in which you're like, but so many bad people get good things. Why are, Why is that happening? And so many good people have so many bad things. Of course, that's the constant argument about against, going against God, and that's always like a focal point for any Christian mm-hmm. movies. <laughs> I love it. And then how they rise above and something good always happens. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work that you have way. have to have faith even when the miracles don't happen, Samantha. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and we're not trying to like, denigrate that in any way in that saying that believing that is a bad thing or whatever whatnot if it's helped you but the conversation is that you're using that against people which has happened more often than not mm-hmm. um and then also this also been, has been a way of, of saying well this rich person it was so blessed it must be so godly yeah. and then being able to write on that uh trump is the perfect example mm-hmm. of that he's gotten all these things because god has blessed him and now he's in the he's the image of god which still just blows my mind yeah. like if you automatically have placed him as one of the most godly people i don't trust you as a christian you are not truly a christian mm-hmm. like i sorry that's just that that's going to be automatic number one for anybody outside of christian religion which the whole purpose of christianity is both gross and understandable, is to convert others, to mm-hmm. save people, which is colonialism. And that's a whole other conversation that we're, we're not getting into today. But that's the whole point. So if that's your whole point, and all of a sudden it's changed to, oh, no, it's to save what's mine, mm-hmm. are you really Christian? Right. Yeah. And I, I just feel like there's so much um, hypocrisy and picking and choosing of, like, yeah, what verses or this is definitely true. That other one's not true, though. Um, and what what you kind of recite back, and 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 it's definitely been weaponized in that context as well. Of yeah, like oh, this person's rich, they must be great. I remember when, because I stopped. I think I was in seventh grade when I was like, I'm not religious anymore. I don't believe in this. And my one of my good friends was very, very religious. And uh, the Iraq war had just happened and I was kind of like publicly against it. And um, 
she sat down in front of me and she took my hands in her hands and she gave me some Bible verse about how it was like necessary. And I just remember sitting there like, <laughs> wait, <laughs> but that's kind of what's happening in the Republican Party. It's, it's like that. It's like this strange, here's this Bible verse. Let me make it fit into what I want you to believe and right. what I want to do. Even if that's not what it means or was intended. Yeah. Right. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I, I also read some articles about how liberals will never truly be able to defeat any of these conversations, will ever, like, win out in any of this conversation, is because their belief is so centered around words that you can't really take apart because mm -hmm. it's there, obviously, and you can like, read the context and you could uh, disagree with them and, and tell them. Like, I've had many of conversations, even when I was really, really deep into all of these things, where you couldn't tell me this is, this is what it was meant for me. This is how it was spoken to me. Um, and at me, as a person who actually studied the Bible for so long and wrote so many, like, f flowery uh, messages to myself and others about believing in the strength of these things, uh, would have a hard time sitting my p parents down and be like, this is inaccurate. Um, this is why it's inaccurate. And I've tried, actually, because I don't, and I'm not trying to convert my parents because they're happy. I'm not necessarily trying to convert them, but of course, it has strained our relationship because of the way they've used it against mm -hmm. me. But I 
came in. I was like, you know, this is not right. She's like, oh, your dad has a great explanation about why you're wrong. And these act- these are actually correct. And I was like, but do you remember? They finally got away from King James about 10 years ago. But they were absolutely appalled when I brought in a different version of the Bible, saying that that was blasphemous. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, what is what is happening? And to like... They have graduated from that to telling me, like, theologically, no, I'm, they're not wrong, and it's historically accurate. And then I'm like, do you know about the Apocryphas, which is the additions that they found? Do you know about the Dead Sea Scrolls that has additional words in there? And it's conflicting, and they don't like this, and they like this. There are mm-hmm. things that are missing, but then you keep telling me that I'm the wrong one for explaining the theory. And again, they find that education is sin. And that's what's ruining the country to, as well. Like, they blame education for being used instead of faith. And it's just kind of like, okay, faith is a nice belief as long as it gives you comfort when you need it. And that's fine. But when you use it to hold it against other people, to blame other people and say that uh, things like the queer community or the transgender community are destroying something when it has nothing to do with you. Again, my parents have never actually met a trans person. I think they've met a non-binary person. And they're just like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay. And that's the Mm -hmm. end. But they somehow, somehow is affecting them. Yeah, yeah. I've told you before I had my my teacher in seventh grade told me it's like, I'm watching you walk off a cliff and I just want to save you. And I was like, right. leave me be. Oh, I shall walk off the cliff <laughs> by myself. <laughs> I had a coworker sit in my office. She was my supervisor, actually, tell me. She's like, I just, I'm so scared for you. And I was like, well, if you make you feel better, I got baptized. And that's <laughs> what everybody seems to think it works. So, you know, either way. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not trying to take that too lightly but it's true yeah. i both fully believe that at one point i had been quote-unquote saved by jesus and i accepted him into my heart I had a testimony about it everything i did mission work i got baptized i got sent out letters i try to colonize people i'm sorry in general um and all those things mm-hmm. uh i try to do it in works in social work i try to do all the things so technically if you truly believed salvation is that permanent as you seem I'm good. <laughs> but <laughs> as I've come to see many things and the horror and the heartbreak that I see in people be in the name of religion, mm-hmm. the the amount of hate I've seen in the name of religion, I I don't want to be a part of that. I don't ever want to be a part of that. Again, I'm very regretful of the mission work that I did that wasn't about actually helping, like, you know, working with underprivileged people and trying to uh, actually do some good things with uh, children who are neglected and abused. Like, outside of that, I'm really regretful of my work when I'm sitting here telling you Jesus is the, you know, do these things uh, become more white, essentially, Mm -hmm. to be saved. And that was what was happening, and I regret that fully. I regret it in every way. Uh, I don't regret the relationships I I made and some of the great people that I've made. Um, And if it helps them feel better, like people, I definitely worked with people who had eating disorders, uh, suicidal ideation, a lot of bad problems at home that really clung to religion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get that. I get that. And they will say that they, it feels like it saved them. I get that. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I felt the same way when I was uh, suicidal at a teenage. Uh, having to look into saying, showing that I had to be grateful, it saved me. Being, being low, having low self-esteem and giving faith and, uh, and gratefulness was a way that saved me. I truly believe that. Do I believe that religion in itself, like the, the idea of the Holy Spirit, maybe that's not necessarily. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole different conversation. But there are so many things where, again, I've had just many scars and trauma through religion as well. That's mm-hmm. kind of like, ah, uh, I could have done without that. <laughs> I think a lot of people could have. <laughs> I mean, this whole series kind of proves that. Uh, <laughs> and it, yeah, that is definitely a personal matter. But so much of it happens when you're young. I still mm-hmm. am like, when I was kind of being bratty about it in seventh grade and I stopped believing, I was like, would you believe this if your parents hadn't told you? Um, I like that voice. That was good. That was really annoying. I was a really annoying kid. I can admit it. <laughs> but I mean, I know we talked about it before, but it's just such a, it's a very intense thing to teach a child where you think you're going to go to hell. And it has so much like sexist, like to be young and to be like, oh, well, women ruined everything. Okay. All right. I guess I'll deal with that tonight. I, like, it's just a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it, is, it is. Well, we talked about that in a previous episode where we talked about, is this a form of child abuse? Is this a form of child trauma that children carry for the rest of their lives? And it's it's true. That's become a thing that was rooted in how mm-hmm. our children were disciplined uh, was through fear and guilt. And it very much passes mm-hmm. along with a religious ideal of of that as well. Yeah. And I think when it comes to what is happening in the world and in this country as a whole, it's unnerving yeah. right now. Maybe it's because I'm an adult and I'm paying attention more. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it feels like it's causing more unraveling. <laughs> and if I were to believe anything, I'm like, yeah, this could be the beginning of the apocalypse in that... Biblically, we see a false god, and it seems like this could be it. And it's coming from the right-wing side. It's very frightening. And I will also say, um, as we wrap up this series, (laughs) that there have been plenty of articles that we've talked about in here that I have read because of now we're getting all these updates about it, where people are trying to change things, that things are progressing, my mom's church is having this whole thing that is fascinating for me to listen uh, when she tells me about um, kind of protecting trans people and even doing like classes about how to, the proper terminology and stuff. So it's interesting. Like the, I feel like there's a huge backlash, but there is also people who are really like, no, that's not what it is. We should be more welcoming. That's what it's about. Yeah, and uh, I hope we've done as as many like sad or sarcastic comments or jokes as we might make. Mm-hmm. We know that there are plenty of people who are not like that, and I hope we've highlighted several good ones. And I hope y'all have paid attention to that too, because we do. We think like the last uh, person uh, who wrote about the dangers of Christian nationalism to Christianity. So I'm like, huh, we could be friends <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, I I love that uh, he was able to give this perspective and really really 
talk about the minute details of it all. Um, and I didn't even put any of the biblical verses that he used uh, for reference, because again, we're not going to do that necessarily for these contexts, because I, I didn't have time to research that. Again, we don't want to take things out of context for anything. But seeing those. And there was plenty of articles, like I said, where it talks about we need to uh, telling other Christians to be vigilant about why this is false narratives. And you need to be careful of what you're reading and what you're hearing, trying to uh, teach their own. So lots of great stuff out there. Again, we took it out of uh, Christianity.com, which we took a few other articles out, which we were like, no, we were opposed to this mm-hmm. as well. Like, So there's d- definitely the good and bad and the back and forth. And I think that's a great thing to see. And I was glad to see it. I really hate that my uh, algorithm is so messed up and I <laughs> want it to be gone. <laughs> that's why the miniseries <laughs> is ending, everyone. That's true. I need to to stop. (laughs) No, you've done a great job, Samantha. Samantha really led the way on these. So thank you for all the the work that you did and for your uh, algorithm getting borked. We appreciate it. Sorry for the uh, delays because I really didn't want to. It makes me sad. It's all right. I understand. I understand. Here we are, though. Uh, We might might post, um, we haven't done this in a while, but we might post um, playlist. Of all episodes since I think we started in March. We started a while yeah, ago. don't judge me. There's no judgment. <laughs> Just like if you want to like go back and hear the whole thing, we might do that. So keep an eye out uh, for that. Uh, but yes, in the meantime, we have heard from a lot of you who had thoughts about this. So keep those thoughts coming. Um, you can email us at stephanieandmomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stephanieandmomstuff and TikTok. Same name. Uh, we have a tea public store and a book you can get. StuffYouShouldReadBooks.com. My mom read it, Samantha. She sent me a kind message and I cried and I cried. Oh, I was like, have y'all had to talk about this? Oh, not really. <laughs> but she sent me a very nice message. Aww. Um, <laughs> and thanks as always to our super producer, Christina, our executive producer, Maya, and our contributor, Joey. Thank y'all. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.